Welcome to episode 41 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Azagiri. And today we are going to talk about In Bruges from 2008, which got one nomination for Best Original Screenplay at the 81st Academy Awards. Uh, this, this film is super special. Uh, 2008's a fascinating year. Of course, the year of the Dark Knight, <laughs> a, a pretty big film. What, what kind of jumps out to you? We were both 13. What kind of jumps out to you from 2008 and In Bruges specifically? To me, personally, 2008 is the beginning of the MCU. It's, you know, the double whammy of Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk started something amazing that's ongoing and has defined a big chunk of my life as a fan, a film fan. So 2008 is very important to me cinematically. Yeah. And in Bruges, yeah, I'm sure you saw around when it came out. Yeah. No, I saw that years later. I, uh, my, my uncle was a big fan of it and he suggested I check it out and I watched it. And I'm I, shocked. Yeah. I immediately was like, this is fucking hilarious i love this yeah 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 it's wonderful it's wonderful stuff yeah i think i think it's one of the first movies that comes to my mind when i think of 2008 not because i saw it in 2008 i also saw it years later and uh just now re-watching it just totally blew my mind it was my favorite it was my favorite viewing i've had of it for sure uh but yeah man this this year i'm glad you pointed out it's it's totally the birth of you know superhero movies taking over yes you know um and uh the of course the next decade is going to be filled with just smash hits of mcu movies and dc kind of falling behind and just creating this super interesting narrative but you know and bruges is like on the total other end right it's a movie that you know is operating on a 15 million dollar budget it's a directorial debut for martin mcdonough and it's a movie that premiered at Sundance it was the opening night movie that they showed so it just kind of you know fit right in for that and kind of wowed audiences and of course was you know distributed funded right away all 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 that kind of stuff it's you know become become a cult hit now and then he he goes on to make seven psychopaths and three billboards which of course gets tons of Oscar nominations uh and and some wins but in Bruges is to me, easily the best of those three. Yeah. It's, it's the most, you know, distinct for me. Uh, it's, it's got the most clear vision from Martin. It's clearly what he wanted to do on his first movie. It's really cool. He's in his, you know, late thirties when this happens, he's 50 right now. So it's just a fascinating time for him as a filmmaker. And when I was rewatching it, I was just kind of blown away by just <laughs> how his style is is so on the front page right away you know you 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 know you're in somebody's somebody's hands it's not a you know <laughs> it's not a giant company's hands you're in a person's hands you're with a visionary and that's really cool he's got a style that's kind of like guy Ritchie meets the coen brothers for sure for sure and it's so neat and you always you, you feel in good hands now, you know three he's got three films now and each time i feel like I'm watching a McDonough movie and it's going to be good. He's got a very cool head for storytelling. And he also has a you know, great uh, talent for bringing together an ensemble. I mean, all three of yeah. these films have an incredible range of actors. And in Bruges alone, right, for his first film to wrangle Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, and Ray Fiennes. I mean, holy hell. <laughs> Unbelievable stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, he of course goes on and like, <laughs> teaming up with Francis McDormand to me is the kind of coolest pairing because you brought up the Coens already. And of course he has a very similar 
just kind of pace to the Coens. Uh, and then has that, you know, you, you can bring up a lot of directors, but you, you can always come back to, well, if he's got all these different flavors and it's comparing to a bunch of different people, then he must have his own style because it's, it's all these different things happening at once. And, and, and most of all, it's, it's fucking hilarious. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're going to, you're going to be entertained and laugh your ass off. And that's always, that's always a good thing. <laughs> oh, absolutely. This movie just keeps getting better. i uh, about a month ago, I got to uh, watch it. I got to show it to my dad for the first time, and he nice. loved it. And I, I, I was laughing harder because he was laughing, and it just kind of, you know, created this kind of perpetual motion of laughter. And uh, it, yes, <laughs> yeah, it has that um, that that it that if you're if you're watching with somebody with a group of buddies, you're just you're just going to be inclined. <laughs> to kind of agree on some of the dark things, some of the dark humor, you're, you're, you kind of get that validation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and it, it totally happens with some of my favorite filmmakers, even, you know, Quentin Tarantino or someone who I think is in his prime, like Yorgos Lanthimos is like when he gets really dark, it's kind of funny. And, and when you're with, when you're with somebody else and they're kind of smirking too, you're like, ah, I feel okay. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not crazy. And that's certainly something that happens in in Bruges. Uh, <laughs> these these three guys that are in this movie, you know, only one of them is Oscar nominated. It's a damn shame. But uh, I, I do want to talk about right off the bat. I want to talk about Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson before before we get to the kind of Oscar touched folks. There, there's quite a few that worked in this movie that have been Oscar nominated before, uh, but these two guys have not. Awesome, awesome character actors, both uh, Colin, Colin and Brendan. W- what? Let's start with Colin. What what jumps out to you about his career, and what should he have been nominated for if we were playing that game? We're playing that game. Hmm. So, so let's play that. Let's play that game. Why not? It's fun. Colin Farrell. Uh, we were talking a little bit a little bit about this before we started recording. He kind of came up as kind of a like a D list Mark Wahlberg almost. You know, he was in action movies that weren't that great. He had like the occasional boosts. He had, he was in Daredevil, which was like the one I knew him from when I was a kid. Yeah. And then somewhere along the line, I think it was, it, if it wasn't in Bruges, it was a movie like before or like right after in Bruges around like the mid two thousands, he, he got clean and he had a complete career resurgence that's still being felt and he's done his best work. And now I consider him to be like a, a favorite of mine. Like he's an actor. I look forward to seeing now. And I'm oh, very happy 100%. for all his success. I'm, I can't wait to see him play the penguin. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. Yeah, I think Colin is one of the guys that has not been, you know, snagged by superhero shit yet. And it, it's time. It's time because he's totally one of the best character actors working right now. He's 44 years old. Yeah, And yeah, if you like you said before, uh, you know, I think I think the line is is Miami Vice. Okay. I think you know the Michael Mann movie. Uh, apparently, he doesn't remember a lot of like filming that movie and being on set. You know, he's dealing with a lot of addiction issues and goes to rehab shortly after that movie is you know is premiered and whatnot. Uh, just going through a lot of shit, you know. And then, like you said, he just start really starting within Bruges in 2008 just goes on this run and is has continued like to right now. 
yeah. you know, as we speak as a guy who's, you know, in talks to be in stuff. And of course is going to be in the Batman movie. I mean, for, for me, it's the, it's the, it's the back to back being in the lobster and being in killing of sacred deer. Both of those roles are just so fucking wacky and out there. And you can see some of the, you know, the Ray, some of the in Bruce stuff, you know, that kind of dark humor in, in, in these characters. Colin kind of carries that with him no matter what. He has this kind of just like, he, he plays kind of just negative, fucking pissed off, cynical, funny, so well. It does it so well. And the pairing of him and Yorgos is, is, is wonderful. I think he, him alongside Rachel Weiss and the lobster is one of the better things I can remember from the last decade as far as, you know, two actors going, going toe-to-toe and working together. I, I, I love what he's done in this past decade. Uh, what are some of your favorites? Um, like you have, you know, the, the, the favorite of, the, you know, his double whammy with Yorgos. For me, it's the double whammy he did with, with McDonough in Bruges and Seven Psychopaths. Those two are the films that I think define the best part of his career, of, you know, the second half of his career. And, you know, I'll always have a soft spot for, you know, the Fright Night remake. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. As, you know, New Jerry, I thought he did a great job. But some about, you know, Ray and then um, Marty, his character in Seven Psychopaths. They're kind of like, they could be cousins. <laughs> like, they're the, is the same cynical bastard who just hates everything around him and drags it all down with him, despite everyone else wanting to kind of have a good time. He does that exact thing in Seven Psychopaths. Yeah. It's, it's a great fit for him. And oh, yeah. It's a great, both of those are just awesome watches that I never get tired of. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Awesome one two punch from any director who's starting out, you know, with making feature length films. Yeah, I, I think, you know, pointing out, you pointed out Fright Night, same year. He's hilarious in Horrible Bosses. Oh, yeah. Absolutely hilarious as the kind of coked out, weird ass. <laughs> I can't remember, he's the son of, uh, I can't remember, I, I believe his father dies in the movie. and He takes over the company. Yeah, yeah and he's just, he's just kind of insane. Yeah. He's the boss I think of his he's, asshole son. Jason Sudeikis, I believe, is his kind of, yeah, mm-hmm. his partner in the movie yeah uh yeah he's ridiculous in that uh, he pops up and you know in saving mr banks dead man down i uh, brought up the lobster he's of course in fantastic fantastic beast and where to find them yeah. uh the beguiled is an insane movie that he's in i widows is he's awesome in widows uh i thought he was i thought he was pretty good in dumbo i didn't like love that movie but i thought he's pretty good kind of an interesting choice uh, but i'm uh, i'm super excited for what he's going to do in the future i think you pointed out earlier that he's going to have you know kind of a next phase and it's kind of started and it's looking good i would be remiss if i didn't point out his role as coach in the gentleman of uh, course which, I, I was waiting because that's yeah. one of your favorite movies in the past couple of years yeah it, straight up he he does he has such great chemistry chemistry with charlie hunnam in that film and his role is kind of you know the the, the gangster with a good heart who doesn't want to get his, you know, the kids he looks after involved in this shit. So he takes responsibility and he just has some amazing like lines, some great moments. It's, it's beautiful. It's yeah. That movie is one of my favorite scripts, maybe ever the gentleman. It's such a smart, tight script. And Colin Farrell is just, you know, one part of an incredible ensemble. Yeah. 
God, man. Incredible stuff. I knew, I knew you were going to bring that one up. It's, it's a movie, you know, that ranks very high for you, you know, in the past stuff you've been able to see. And of course it's one of the last things you got to see in theaters before, you know, COVID took you away from it for a little while. So yeah, special, special stuff. I remember when I saw the gentleman thinking 2020 is going to have such a great bunch of movies. If this is how it starts, Oh boy, this is going to be a great year. How fucking wrong I was. <laughs> My God. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Crazy. Mm. <laughs> oh, I love it, man. Uh, Colin, Colin, wonderful one in Bruges. Maybe his best best performance, you know, uh, of his entire career. The one uh, I think no. he should be nominated for. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's one of the, you know, three or four that you would point out to that, yeah, he should have probably been in talks more for, you know, to be to be nominated. Yeah. Um, now, his, 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 you know, his, his buddy in the film, uh, you know, we got... Ken, Brendan Gleeson. This man, of course, is responsible for one of the most badass characters in the Harry Potter uh, franchise. So, of course, right off the bat, he's someone that, you know, you recognize, of course, because you grew up with those films. Uh, And and then I I became kind of obsessed with them later on, you know, the books and the movies. And he, he certainly is one of the people that, you know, stand out the most in that franchise. You know, Brennan Gleason's one of the first people I think of when I think of that franchise. Uh, but on top of that, he's, he's one of those people that when you learn more, he's just been involved in so many amazing things. And I, I want to let you take it away. This guy's turning 66 this year. Just incredible. Well, just as Mad-Eye Moody and Harry Potter, I mean, you know, people forget he's, he plays two roles in that franchise. You know, he's Mad-Eye Moody, but also in Goblet of Fire, He's Barty Crouch Jr. playing Mad Eye Moody. Yeah, so the yes. layering of that performance is it just gets better every time I watch Goblet of Fire. Oh uh, man, <laughs> fantastic! But you know that was my first uh, intro to Brendan Gleeson. But when I first saw Harry Potter, you know I wasn't thinking of actors. I wasn't thinking of like, oh, there's Alan Rickman. I was just like, I love right, Wizard. yeah, and magic. <laughs> yeah. The movie that really made me recognize Brendan Gleeson as an actor that I want to follow is 28 Days Later. And Frank is the saddest motherfucker in that movie. (laughs) Just his story is so heartbreaking, but so real. And Gleeson brings that to every role he's ever done. He looks, he has this signature look about himself where he looks like just some dude walking down the street. He doesn't have a movie star quality. He's the very definition of a character actor. And yeah. he brings it every single time from, you know, fucking Braveheart all the way to Mr. Mercedes. Like the guy knocks it out the park constantly. I love him to death. He's one of my favorites. Yeah, man. Yeah. 28 Days Later. <laughs> what a movie. <laughs> Just like simply, I, I, I believe that one's a like kind of through and through masterpiece uh the year year after you know you have uh gangs in new york and then cold mountain right after this guy the the range he's able to to you know put himself through here is it's pretty remarkable and a guy who's like i said in his mid-60s has certainly had kind of peaks and valleys in his career where you see these runs of like kind of oh amazing choices and just good movies but I'll say everything I've seen him in, whether it be, you know, bad or good, he has the classic 
trait of a character actor. He's always good. He always yeah. brings it. He always brings his juice to the table. Uh, I, and I'm, I'm totally cool with that. Even in, I look down, even in Lake Placid, he's, he's pretty good in that. <laughs> and he doesn't, he, he doesn't need to be, uh, you know, at all, you know, <laughs> yeah. and that's the mad respect for that. So that's the curse of the character actor, you know, not all the roles are beefy. They're not all giant productions, but, you know, character actors tend to pick out roles that give them something to do. And Brendan Gleeson has certainly done that. You know, they may not all be, you know, huge movies, but everything he's done, he's given it all to the role. And I mean, you can't ask for less than that. I mean, like the the TV show, Mr. Mercedes, uh, Stephen King wrote the role of Bill Hodges with Gleason in mind if they ever made a movie out of it. That's, that's awesome. And then Gleason did the, did the show three seasons in. And I've seen, I watched the first season and he is, no one else could have done that. You know, over the hill Irish cop who catches the serial killer that got away. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> who else would you want but Brendan Gleason? <laughs> yeah. Tom Wilkinson, maybe. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, no. Oh, nobody plays, you know, over the hill Irish bastard better than Brendan Gleeson. Yeah, if we're yeah, if we're talking if we're talking Irish cop, have you seen have you seen um ah there's a film with I brought up Tom Wilkinson because there's a film with him and Joel Edgerton. Cannot remember the name of it. I thought maybe you would you would know, but they they both play these cop characters and it is just a wonderful movie. And I I I thought maybe you would you would remember it. Yeah. Hmm. Let's find out. Or or maybe you had have seen it, yeah. Uh Felony? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have seen not that? seen that, but this sounds intriguing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I just was thinking when you were kind of describing that character of Gleason, I don't know why that movie came to my mind. That's just kind of what we do on these podcasts. You just uh your brain goes to strange places. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh Gleason, Gleason, I, I, I love him in uh Troy, Kingdom oh, yeah. of Kingdom of Heaven. Uh even in Edge of Tomorrow, I think he's pretty good in. Uh, in the Heart of the Sea, he's the only part of like that movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, there's really nothing you can go down the line. There's nothing in here where I'm like, yeah, he's he's in any way phoning it in. And then of course, throughout you see here and there, Mad Eye Moody. You're like, oh yeah, <laughs> pretty cool. <laughs> oh hell yeah! I mean, he, he just got a Golden Globe nomination for playing Trump. I mean, I need to see the Comey rule just so I can see. Brendan Gleeson play fucking Trump. I mean, I need to see how he does that. And I also promised myself I would not watch that until the Trump presidency was over. And now it is. So now I can, now I can watch that. So hell yeah, I would like to see that. I, I, there's a lot, you know, he's done, he's been in the business for, you know, decades. There's so much of his work to see and so much still yet to come. Uh, hell yeah. I love the guy. Yeah, man. He's been nominated for four Golden Globes, but no Oscars. But we had to bring him up here, him and Colin, because they're just, you know, superstars and they kind of, <clears throat> you know, keep this movie just rolling and in a direction that is super, super entertaining. And I, I find them to be just an awesome pairing. You know, these two guys, you know, they're they're really built for like a cop TV show that could just last forever because these two, the chemistry is through the roof. I, I love them both, but the, the third guy, <laughs> this guy, this guy has been Oscar nominated. This is a man that, that is uh, familiar with what it's like to be <laughs> at the Academy Awards, be participating. That's, that's Ray Fiennes. 
Oh yeah. That's a, that's a, a total, total legend. Also, uh, you know, played Voldemort <laughs> in the Harry Potter franchise, but uh, this guy's Oscar nominated. So we can kind of direct our attention to there, unless you want to talk about Rafe uh, from, from a bigger picture standpoint. Cause I know, I know you love the guy. Well, considering I have not seen either of his Oscar nominated films, I would prefer the big, the big picture. Just <laughs> go take it away, man. What do you love about him? <laughs> Rafe Fiennes is, I, I love character actors to death. I think that's pretty evident by now. And Ray Fiennes is another one of those guys who's always done amazing work. And I mean, he's also, you know, he's, he's Voldemort. He's the new M he's got, you know, he's in so many franchises himself, but also littler stuff. I know um, back when I was a kid, uh, Ray Fiennes, one of the few people to scare the absolute shit out of me uh, when I watched Red Dragon for the first time. Hey, nice. And Francis Dollarhide is no one to be trifled with. And when he bites off Philip Seymour Hoffman's lips, lights him on fire, I had a panic attack. <laughs> I was like eight or nine years old. I know I, I keep telling this story a lot with different movies. Clearly, <laughs> I did not learn my lesson at all when I was a kid. <laughs> but um, yeah, Red Dragon's on that list. And um, from there, I just I, I knew this guy's face. It was in my head. So every time I saw him, I was like, that's the guy. <laughs> that's that, that's that fucking guy. Yeah. I, 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 I love him, man. He's got that face anyway. So even if he wasn't a prominent key player in a movie, even if you just saw him while walking down the street, you'd be like, holy shit, this guy just has this kind of <laughs> captivating look. Yeah, you know, he's, he's nominated for best supporting actor Schindler's list, which came out in 1993. And then he was uh, nominated for best actor and a lead role, uh, The English Patient, 1996. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, two-time two two-time nominee. Uh, I really wish he would have been up for Grand Budapest Hotel. He should have been. He should have been. I, uh, you know, I thought that whole movie, you know, was, was loved a lot by the Oscars, but I thought they missed the best part. <laughs> <laughs> they really did. I'm surprised that like no one from that movie was nominated. You know, you'd think an ensemble like that, the Oscars would throw somebody some love and it should have been Rafe. You know, Monsieur Gustav is one of my favorite characters he's ever played. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think it's, I think it has an argument for being one of, one of his best, you know, uh, totally takes the kind of Wes Anderson style to, to a completely new level. You know, he catapults it, you know, there's guys like, and this is coming from, I'm a huge, huge Wes Anderson fan. Grand Budapest Hotel it is, is probably his best movie. It's not my favorite. It's really nowhere near my favorite. Mm-hmm. But it is so damn good. You know, it's like when you hear a band that's just fucking flawless. They just come out with an album that just, just, just works, just works. But you're not, you know, sometimes with a director, you kind of like the little hiccups here and there you know i love bottle rocket i love rushmore i love darjeeling uh those are those are like my favorites you know but grand budapest is this kind of stagey just brilliant you know puts his puts his kind of typical production design on steroids you know this you know the symmetry is there and all these different colors and typical west style but it's so grand you know the whole time it's really this just breathtaking film to watch. And at the center of it is, is an amazing performance. Amazing. That, that keeps it, 
it's totally the engine of it, you know, it keeps it, keeps it flowing. So yeah, I, I totally wish that was, you know, the other nomination he had, uh, if, if I could pick one. My family loves that movie so much that whenever it's even mentioned, my grandpa will like instinctively yell, get your hands off my lobby boy. Yeah. Yeah. Totally get it. I totally understand that. My, uh, my brother and his wife, they have this kind of like, you know, those like letter boards that you put up on the wall and you just kind of like put, and they put movie quotes on that. And for the longest time, Caitlin is her name. Uh, she had it. She had that quote. <laughs> and so you'd like walk into their, to their apartment. That was one of the first things you saw. <laughs> that's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. And it's been, it's been all kinds of other things, you know, and, and, but that's the one that sticks out the most, you know, yeah. You know, you look more like a games guy. That was one of them from Adventureland that they had. But <laughs> but the, that was the one that like made me laugh the most. You know, the hands off my lobby boy, just brilliant. And and you know, the moments when he's like, you know, just totally buying in to Wes's vision and just directly looking at the camera and you know, you think I've done it, and then just running the other way, you know. That's not easy to do, you know, it's not easy to make that look like believable you know, <laughs> but Rafe, Rafe has a, he has a sense. He has a way, a way about the, about the movie screen. That's pretty amazing. What, what else do you like about him? Cause there's, there's so much. <laughs> um, well, when, um, when Skyfall came out, okay. He, he joined the cast as the character of Gareth Mallory. And I thought they were going to be playing the long game and he was going to be the new Blofeld because I mm. thought who would, I would love to see him, you know, be James Bond's arch nemesis. But then, you know, the, the script got flipped and he was the new M. And then I thought, that's even better. <laughs> He's Bond's boss. He's the guy in charge of MI6. I, and then he, you know, he stayed on. Spectre and uh, No Time to Die, he's also going to be in. And he's, he's rocked. He's been my favorite M since Bernard Lee. Uh, on top of that, you know, he also is, to me, his arrival in the Harry Potter franchise is the moment where everything changes. The arrival <sighs> of Lord Voldemort we are now in a different franchise. This is not, you know, happy-go-lucky wizards. This is life or death, good versus evil now. So you're talking about when he kills Batman? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. When Voldemort just... kills Batman, that's when, that's when shit gets real. <laughs> okay, yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> I know, yeah, I know what you speak of. Uh, kill the spell. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, I, dude, when I saw that for the first time, I was like, I had read the book. I was a huge fan. I was waiting for that. And I'm like, this is not disappoint. Oh my God, it's him. It's the dark Lord. You know, they could not have cast that better. Ray finds kills it the entire time of that franchise. And it's so, you know, I think it's a lot of people consider it the role. that kind of defines his career. Uh, he's been totally cool with that. I've seen him talk about it. He loves playing Voldemort. He seems, I've seen him in interviews and stuff and he who seems wouldn't? really, yeah, exactly. Who wouldn't? Yeah, good God. I would love a chance to, yeah, to fucking be the ruler of evil in a fake wizarding world. Yeah, that sounds great. That would be, it'd be so cool to be at a giant, giant table and to be able to like, at the, you know, snap of my fingers, tell a bunch of snakes, like what to do. That'd be great. <laughs> oh my God. But with that said, you know, I mean, huge, I mean, you know me, huge Harry Potter fan, huge Bond fan, huge Hannibal Lecter fan. My favorite role of Ray Fiennes is Harry fucking Waters. This movie. <laughs> I, I, I totally understand. This is the film. He should have been up for Best Supporting Actor. He is 
absolutely hilarious. Like the moment he shows up, just the phone calls, like imagining who the fuck is on the other end of this phone call, like, you know, angrily bitching about how much Ray doesn't like Bruges. <laughs> Not like fucking like Bruges, fucking fairy tale town. <laughs> yeah, he, he, mm. first off, the decision to, to be so patient with his character. Yeah. In a movie that really isn't that long, you know, it's about really with, without the credits, it's like an hour and 40 minutes. And to have the patience until like almost an hour in to bring him in, in the flesh <laughs> is, I love that patience. And he comes in like a firecracker, you know, where we've heard this voice and then they put the face with it. Just, I, I, I was totally floored this time watching. I, I shame on me for forgetting how good he was yeah. in this movie. I, I totally understand why why this would be your favorite your favorite role of his. Yeah, and that's you know that's over that's taken over Voldemort and M. So that's that's saying a lot. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Have you seen his um his Oscar nominated roles? Shown the list in the English Patient. I have. I've seen both. Not in a long time. Uh, English Patient. I actually, <laughs> you'll you'll probably know this. I watched that because of uh, that Seinfeld episode. You know, and of course, it of course it won Best Picture, but there's a Seinfeld episode where they're a whole bit about it. They go out to see the film, and I just watched it. I was too young, you know, watching it. I had no idea what I was what I was getting into, you know. And of course, now like I've seen stuff with with Rafe. I've seen stuff with Julia Binoche, and have a totally different perspective. So I would love to rewatch that one. And Schindler's List, I watched maybe uh, four or five years ago. And it was just one of those days where I just set aside some time. Yeah. I like, I, rem- I remember buying like a six pack and just kind of, I was like, I'm just going to kind of chill and try to try to get through this jaunt, you know, and neither of them, you know, are movies that just jump off the page for me with when it comes to him as an actor, you know? Yeah. Cause I, you know, that's just some, some bias, but like, I find his, best stuff to be when he is 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 unhinged you know and is able to be you y- you know like in imbruji just can throw in the occasional fuck you know or in and you know he's when he's voldemort he's just inherently evil as shit and i think that's where he is best suited that's a little bit biased i know because that's the stuff i like but I just that that's just me as a fan. I, the stuff for him that jumps off the page, you know, is is all is all the kind of like a little bit edgier stuff for me. I get that. I mean, you know, English Patient and Chandler's List are two you know highly acclaimed World War II dramas. I mean, they better be. You know, I, I don't want to say much because I haven't seen either of those films. I've seen I watched clips from Schindler's List in my tenth grade history class with the football coach teacher, and. uh was then, you know, had to go to lunch. Like, I, I couldn't process Chandler's list. I didn't know what that, you know, it was clips out of sequence to, like, help us visualize the Holocaust. Like, that's not how you watch Chandler's list. So, no. yeah, I'm waiting for the inevitable best picture showdown for those films. Yeah, man. Yeah, of <laughs> course. That's that's going to come at some point. You know, this, this uh, Oscar Sunday, quite frankly, can't really ever end. <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know because they're always going to keep going and we'll we'll do a best picture showdown around every single one and no we haven't done that many so far so i'm of course looking forward to every single one of them 
before we move on to the uh, writer director of In Bruges, who certainly has some some Oscar talk, uh, Ray Fiennes, he is one of my favorite guys to be in an animated movie for voice acting. You know, like in uh, Prince of Egypt. I don't know if you've seen that one, but as he's Rams Ace in that movie. Holy shit. Just like, whoa, just fucking grabs you by the balls. Like it's, it's one of those kind of like, you know, just distinguished, you know, you, you, I'll, I'll, you know, for, for you, Connor is like, uh, you know how you know exactly where you are when you hear Mark Hamill's Joker. You're like, oh yeah. Oh, like Ray, like Ray finds as Ramses. You're just like, holy shit. Yeah. Like it just, he, it totally makes sense. It totally fits and just kind of like lines up right here. And it's, it's badass. uh, for him yeah to take that on you know of course uh, at the root of course i wish they would have done a whole different voice cast but if you're gonna go for english-speaking people man rafe just knocks it out of the fucking parking in that movie uh i i that was up for best original song i believe yeah uh at, at the oscar so one day i want to do prince of egypt because i think it's a kind of fascinating movie to talk about. And then, he, and then there's actually some really good voice performances, but yeah, he's, he's awesome, man. I, I love the guy. Anything else before we move on to, to Marty? I thought it was uh really cool that he played Alfred in the Lego Batman movie. Yes. There you go. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. And I also really hate that he was wasted as professor Moriarty in Will Ferrell's God awful Holmes and Watson. Like that's Ray Fiennes as Moriarty. I mean, the perfect union of like literary bad guy and, you know, British thespian. That's what we get. And it's that motherfucker, like that movie that has that performance. Shame. Yeah. Shame. That's yeah. That's a, that's a good, good old Hollywood. What if? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. There's too, too damn many of those. I tell you what, but in uh, <laughs> is not in is not one of those. When is one that I feel very strongly about. And of course the main reason is because, Mr. Martin McDonough. Now, now this guy coming from coming from London, uh, where he's born, his three films, like you mentioned earlier, uh, his his short film, Six Shooter, one best short film at the Oscars in 2005, uh, and he goes on to you know to make these three, like we mentioned earlier, in Bruges, Seven Psychopaths, and Three Billboards Outside of Missouri. Seven Psychopaths, there's nothing there. Yeah, sadly. That, that's upsetting. But within Bruges, you know, we have the screenplay nomination for, for Mr. Martin. And then, of course, in Three, three Billboards, which we've brought up before on this show, uh, just kind of kind of took the Oscars by the balls a little bit when it, can, when it comes to nominations. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I, think, I think we both at one point during that kind of award season thought this was, gonna, thought this was probably going to win Best Picture. I- I, di- I didn't think the Oscars were going to go with, you know, Guillermo del Toro's weird fish movie. I mean, it was good, but it wasn't Best Picture. That was that year, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, Three Billboards had all the makings of an Oscar darling. I mean, you know, it had a great ensemble of, you know, past nominees and winners. It had, you know, an up-and-coming director who was due for a win. It had a great, like, timely story. That, you know, a great mixture of comedy and drama, you know, it had everything. And somehow it lost most of those. I think the only wins it got, did, McDonough won for screenplay, right? Yeah, won two. And then, of course, Franny. 
Oh no, it's just Franny and Sam Rockwell, I believe. I think he lost screenplay. Let me let me let me look. It at was that. original screenplay, and he lost to Jordan Peele, didn't he? Yeah, correct. Yeah, of course. Get out. Yeah, duh. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just McDormand and Rockwell that took gold for that one. Yes. Yeah. Just one, two. Yeah. Let's let's just go through these real quick. Why not? While we're here. <laughs> All right. Uh, for three billboards, we have uh, nominated best film editing, screenplay, uh, music, uh, original score. Uh, Woody Harrelson for best actor in a supporting role. Yeah. Uh, and then best motion picture of the year. And then yes, Sam Rockwell and Francis McDormand both took home gold. But yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Martin wow. Martin has not Martin has not won anything. Damn. That's crazy. I mean, is this you know, it's a hell of a triple threat. I know he's got one in the in the works right now with with Colin back in the works. Uh, yeah. Very happy for that. He'll get his one day. Maybe not director, maybe not picture, but he will one day snag a screenplay win. Yeah, I, I think so too. He's uh, I mentioned earlier, I believe he's he's 50 right now. I think there's just so much creativity pouring out of him over the past, you know, 10 or 10 or so years. Yeah. So yeah, I think, I think we can expect just a lot more of that to come. I do like that. There's the, those gaps in between his movies, you know, really lets the movie breathe and lets it, lets it kind of become what it needs to be. And I think, I think it's factored really well for something like in Bruges or yeah. some psychopaths where they really just got to become what they are, which is just kind of cult favorites now. Well, he's got like a, what, a four to five year gap in between each film, roughly? Oh, eight. Yeah, correct. Four years and then five years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're going on four years now. So Mm -hmm. it's coming. (laughs) Yeah, man. Pretty, pretty, pretty exciting stuff. I, uh, I'm really excited for what he, like to see who he works with other than of course, Colin. I I, I really want to see who else, you know, he kind of, kind of, cause you know, Francis McDormand, I loved what he was doing with Sam Rockwell and Lucas Hedges and Peter Dinklage, uh, just like really cool stuff. But I, I do want to say he, he is an Oscar winner for his short film. So I, you know, he does have gold, just not for feature length films yet, but like you, you mentioned the screenplay one will probably be coming at some point. That's, that's what I, I think he has his best, you know, it, as far as batting average goes, that's probably his best bet. Statues a statue, you know, short film, big film, Gold is gold. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. And apparently six shooters. Great. I was trying to fucking watch it. And I just didn't make, I, I pl- had plenty of time. It's a short, I just didn't make time for it. You know, uh, didn't really make time to find where to watch it. So it's, that's on me. <laughs> well, we, yeah, I mean, we can only do so much, you know, it's a weekly show guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Truly. And we got other shit going on. Uh, Carter Burwell. Talk about Ooh. a guy who's got a lot of shit going on. Mm. Uh, we've mentioned we've mentioned the kind of Cohen feel, the pace that, of course, uh, Martin McDonough has in his films, and Carter Burwell is certainly someone who, you know, has has a foot in that. <laughs> oh yeah, he has done pretty much every movie with the Coens, pretty much. Oh. Uh, even on No Country for Old Men, he was helping them with the sound of the movie. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, not even though he didn't compose a score for it, uh, he is he's a wonderful composer and one of the names that jumps out to me because I am such a huge Cohen fan, and I feel I feel like it's the same for you. Uh, this guy probably should have a lot more nominations to his name, but it doesn't really matter with him because of that attachment to the Coens 
he's like forever ingrained in their filmography. He's just like Francis. He's kind of just a part of their, their whole, their whole world. Yeah. And when, when it comes to their films, he, he has to be brought up. And I love that. Well, one thing the Coens have, have like never done, they've never forgotten their roots. They've always stuck together with their team, you know, Carter Burwell, Francis McDormand, Sam Raimi to a certain extent before yeah, he took yeah. off. Like these guys all came up together and they've stayed together. And that's awesome. Carter Burwell has only gotten better because of the Coens. And the Coens have only gotten better because of Carter Burwell. Like they've all helped each other. And yeah. I love that. I love a symbiotic relationship in film. <laughs> oh, same. Isn't it nice to see? <laughs> oh, it's great. I, I, I think it's also really cool and just shows that we, we had to point out his work with the Coens because he just hasn't been nominated for any of their movies. Unbelievable. But Carter Burwell has been nominated twice for Carol and for three billboards outsetting Ebbing, Missouri. <laughs> uh, and, and, he, and he does the music for In Bruges. So, of course, there's something about Martin McDonough that, you know, attracts Carter Burwell. Yeah. And, of course, it's got to be the style of filmmaking. <laughs> He's like... The <laughs> and the, the storytelling. He's like the, you know, McDonough's like the third Cohen brother who got lost at birth. <laughs> In London, just lost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's got the same... There's a there's a vibe there. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it. There, there's no joke. It's definitely there. You know, there's 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 influences, and I've heard multiple people pointed out for being you know McDonough's influences, but no one more than the Coens. You know, uh, guys who are just not even that much older than him. It's really fascinating. Well, you just look at their extensive filmography, and they're like just constantly you know, hammering them out one after another like ever since blood simple. And I mean, for like, how do you, how can you not, you know, as a aspiring filmmaker, not look at those guys and be like, I want to do that. Like, yeah. Just go, go, go. Just make yeah. original after original after original. Yeah. But, you know, one thing, if I ever write a movie, I'm going to be watching some Coen brothers for inspiration. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, man. Like, they're the first I, guys I'm going to. I, 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 I think, I think they are uh, awesome. You know, when, when you're talking about two guys that are in charge of, you know, writing and directing and kind of at the helm and do a lot of their own editing and kind of pick and choose their people that they're working with. I think you, you gotta be inspired or influenced to kind of do your own thing. And it doesn't have to be the exact same way, but you, you feel this, you feel this like creative energy in their movies yeah. that, that is, is intoxicating and, just kind of reels you in, you know, I think that's, I think that's the, the main thing about something like, you know, like Lebowski is it, it looks like so much fun to be on that set. And it feels that way for a lot of their movies, you know, if, even if they're really serious, it just feels like, God, they're just having a good old fucking time, you know, like no matter what's going on, it could be Miller's crossing the darkest scene of the whole movie. It just, it feels like, no, it feels like the energy of this movie is just good. And, because, and, people, and people were having a good fucking time. Because <laughs> one thing McDonough picked up from the Coens is an ability to write memorable, meaty characters. And that's felt throughout, you know, all three of his films. Every character stands out. There's no small parts, you know. In, in Bruges, you know, there's like just the fat Americans. Like, I, you know, we remember them. Like mm -hmm. one little scene, but it's so well done. And yeah, McDonough just... You know, he, he has that. It's such a great skill for a writer to have is to, you know, create 
no small characters. That's really difficult to do, but some can pull it off and McDonald can pull it off. Yeah, no kidding, man. And here's another guy who has contributed greatly to Martin McDonough's success in his style is John Gregory, the film editor of all three of his feature length films uh, was nominated for three billboards out, outside of Missouri for, for best achievement in film editing. Obviously someone that uh, Martin trusts here, John Gregory, and it shows. I was listening to, to kind of gather, to, to kind of wrap my head around Martin's, uh, you know, feel for filmmaking and, and what he kind of wants to do. I was watching an interview shortly after in Bruges came out and he's talking about editing and cutting and how intentional those decisions are. And his answers were really interesting because he was, he was kind of abrupt about how, how sure he is about what to put in the film and what to cut out and how the rest of it's just kind of like fat or whatever you want to call it, you know, and it was very fascinating to know that in Bruges is pretty much exactly what he had in mind. <laughs> and, and you love to hear that. And you love to hear him kind of talk about just, just on a first name basis, John working with John, working with John, me and John, me and John in the room, me and John on the floor, you know, cutting, cutting, editing. Oh, that's John Gregory. Okay. You know, clearly they have a, a, a kind of a friendship here that's lasted over 10 years in, in filmmaking. And that's, that's, that's pretty cool. He also, uh, he's only been nominated once at the Oscars, but he's been nominated for four BAFTAs, including here's, here's a fun one, four weddings and a funeral. <laughs> Hello. How about, how about that? <laughs> Hello, old friend. I remember. Yeah. You. Episode one. <laughs> yeah. Back in, back in, a, back in episode one, we talked about, uh, Pulp Fiction, 1994, and of course, Four, Four Weddings and Funeral was also up for Best Picture, along with Pulp Fiction. Another film we didn't bring up earlier, also up for Best Picture in 1994, is Quiz Show with Ray Fiennes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Van Doren. Great yeah. story. Great movie. Yeah. Yeah. IMDb kind of just jumps out at me sometimes, and it's like, ah, shit, forgot that one. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I love finding out about you know, the Carter Burwells, the John Gregory's, you know, th those cats, you know, yeah. I think it's, I think it's really important to learn about those guys. And those are, those are the guys who are kind of Oscar touched. And I think it's important to bring them up. Yeah. You know, the Midas touch that, that matters here, you know, <laughs> it's gold is gold. And I love kind of spotlighting the different categories and the different pieces that go into making a film like this. It, it's important. You know, it does take a village. Oh, most certainly. I think, anyone would find that when you find a filmmaker, a, a so-called auteur, you find that it, that it is a village behind them, behind their vision that is, that believes in them. Yeah. That helps them kind of move that forward. Cause every time you look at someone's filmography, like the Coens or Tarantino or whoever it is, Spike Lee, or you see that they've worked with the same people on half their filmography and you realize that it, it, it totally is about a vision and about teamwork and effort and seeing that and working together for sometimes one person's vision. And, and that's like, that's beautiful. It is beautiful. And we get to reap the benefits of it because we get to enjoy this art that never stops. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful. La last guy before we move on to the 81st Academy Awards proper. Uh, I, I thought, 
I thought it would be silly to not bring him up anyway, even if he wasn't Oscar nominated in the past. That is Michael Carlin, the production designer, uh, head of head of head of production design in In Bruges. Just Jesus Christ! There, there are times where you legitimately feel like you're there. You legitimately feel like you're in this random ass place in Belgium. I I love that. <laughs> I love that about Michael Carlin. Was this not filmed on location? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you, you totally totally relishes this city like i think i think it's not easy to go to a place that isn't known about like bruges you know i mean of course they're making jokes about it and there's a place called brussels not far away that they could have used but they take bruges instead and i love that decision and you you don't need to know much about it but you're you're 100 in a foreign place and i i love how it's like kind of a, a shout out and of course it references like old European movies, but I, I thought about eight and a half Federico Fellini at times, especially during like the dream sequences, mm-hmm. like super, super fascinating. Uh, I, I, I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was awesome. Michael Carlin was nominated for the Duchess. Uh, never seen that movie came out, came out back in 2000, 2008 as well, actually. So same year, uh, is busy one for Michael Carlin. I love, you know, production design is one of my favorite aspects to look at in a film, you know, how the film really is, you know, that for me is the ultimate uh, way a film looks comes from that. It's 100%. what you remember the most, I think, of it up film is you know, the visual stick. And I lo- when a film has good production design, I love, you know, kind of, I don't know what the hell I'm trying to say. I love production design there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's the best. I, I, I would love to bring back up, you know, Wes Anderson is one of my favorite, yeah. you know, guys, and he's worked with a bunch of different, bunch of different people on that end and then brought people back in for certain certain you know things he's going to do in movies you can see similarities you know in like darjeeling and grand budapest you can see oh it's probably the same person very very cool last year at the oscars was it parasite that took home production design i believe so i believe that was one of the ones that won yeah 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 beautiful i mean it's you know highlighting the poor side of you know, Korea and the wealthy side of Korea and really giving us that contrast of two really different worlds. All of that comes from the design of the film. And that's, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, exactly. That's a movie that, yeah, definitely is, you know, has an advantage being, being shot on location, but it doesn't, it, it, it's, it's totally taking it to the next level with, of course, the house yeah. and all these other things. And sh- like you said, showing the different classes. It's making those decisions within that city, within that location, that is just so impressive in some of these movies. And God, Parasite, uh, <laughs> a, a movie that you know obviously changes the game for the Oscars. But I've you know thought about many times of like doing on this show, yeah. And it's just kind of daunting. It's kind of a daunting one because because of you know how recent it was, but rewatching that with this lens that <laughs> like picking awards for it, it would, would just be uber uber difficult uh i, I find that it operates just on the, this whole level where every piece of it is just kind of put together in such a perfect place yeah, i love that movie and the production design is one of the main parts of that one. Oh yeah and in you know in um in bruges our production design is giving us this kind of as harry puts it fairy tale land that Ray is too naive and just self-absorbed to appreciate. 
and you need a place like Bruges for this film to work. And uh, yeah, I total props to the production designer. I love it. I love it, man. Well, that was fun. I love talking about, love talking about those people, you know, we're always, always going to do that when, when we can, you know, when there's some individuals that we feel like if there's an Oscar nomination there, we also want to just kind of spread the love, you know, on these individuals because they're, they're, they're there. And like Connor said, it takes a village to, to do anything right. And certainly in Bruges is, is just right. <laughs> uh, now, at the, it was just nominated once for screenplay. Yeah. So you and I kind of went ahead and watched all five from that category. We typically don't do that uh, for just these, these episodes. We typically do that for the best picture, you know, showdowns, watch all five. But with this, it's kind of special because we, we really like it in Bruges and it's got that one nomination. So it's kind of like, why not? Yeah, exactly. uh, it's it's the same way I felt about doing Shrek, where I, of course Shrek had multiple nominations, but Shrek being the first winner in that animated animated category, we went ahead and watched the other two animated movies that were nominated. This kind of gives you a, you know, gives you a little you, you you get a grasp on what what was competing in that category, and it's not necessarily for us to be like, oh, these five are the five because. For sure, there are other movies from 2008 that should be in the screenplay category. Of course, <laughs> that's that's every single fucking year. But these five movies, they all have something to offer. Uh, for us, we were rewatching In Bruges, Milk, and Wally, but neither of us had seen Happy Go Lucky or Frozen River. But we watched them both. We rented Frozen River and we got uh, both watched Happy Go Lucky on HBO Max. So, hey, we're here. We can talk about all five. I want to start with Wally because it's at the bottom. What did you think of uh, your rewatch on Wally? So, as I stated in my review, I had not seen Wally since I saw it at the movies when I was thirteen. And uh, back then, I thought mm, I've seen better. I thought Pixar had done better. I thought it was, you know, kind of boring. And then watching it this time, I was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> like that's why everyone loves this movie. It's. It reminded me so much of Charlie Chaplin. Just, you know, comedy without dialogue and building a love story without words. And it really was very sweet. And I love the environmental message and the wholesome message of, you know, protect Earth, protect each other. I like that. And uh, I was very impressed with Thomas Newman's score. Loved his bouncy. You, know, you never hear Thomas Newman do like something bouncy like that. His scores are usually like really good, but fucking downers. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I liked Wally. Um, I'm not sure if it deserved the screenplay nod. Yeah, this is a fascinating kind of uh, discussion, I think, conversation. is animated movies that have kind of broken in. You know, yeah. Toy Story did that. Shrek did that. Of course, Wally right here. It, it, it happens, you know? It can happen. <sighs> but I don't... I don't really like it that much. Uh, I'm not saying that animated movies don't have any business in here. I, I, I don't think that's true. I just think when we're looking at only five slots, yeah. sometime, sometimes it feels as though they're, they're kind of throwing a bone rather than, you know, nominating truly something that 
you know, is kind of moving or stirring, you know, like, like Steve McQueen's hunger from 2008, you know, just something that really kind of teaches you and kind of grinds your gears. Uh, and, and Wally, you brought up Charlie Chaplin. A lot of it, a lot of it is you just kind of watching not any talking. So that's exactly. That's my big point with Wally. Like there's yeah. very little dialogue in the film anyway. And the dialogue we get isn't exactly groundbreaking stuff. It's mostly the fat captain trying to steal the, the wheel back. So it's a great movie. Animated. It totally deserved the animated film win. Uh, probably, you oh. know, sound design, sound editing would have been fine taking those, but screenplay. No, I don't think it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I, I I don't think it deserves a spot. I, I like Wally. I give it an eight. I think you did too. I think it's a solid flick. It's, you know, there's so damn many, you know, Pixar movies, but it's, you know, I, I kind of put them in tiers and I'll just say it's not in my top two tiers, but it's probably in the third or fourth. And I, I like it. I like it. I think Pixar, you know, has just, just obviously insane run. And I, I totally, I would totally understand if Wally was someone's very favorite, you know, I totally get that. It kind of has a distinguished, you know, you know, kind of thing to it. And I, I like that about it, but in this group, in this category, best original screenplay. No, you know, you got Andrew Stanton, Jim Reardon and Pete doctor kind of Pixar legends. Yeah. Working on the screenplay. I think that had a big, Whole, whole lot to do with it uh but uh yeah just not not totally deserving but 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 decent movie and i'm glad we could bring it up at some point on this show yeah me too um let's let's go to let's go to happy go lucky uh mike lee's movie uh starring sally hawkins i i think we have di- a, a difference on this one based on your review <laughs> yeah yeah admittedly. um Happy Go Lucky, I was into it. I liked it. I thought Sally Hawkins was amazing. I thought she should have been up for Best Actress. I thought she had such a bubbly, enjoyable personality. But that film did not end on a solid note. I thought that the, the way they were building the relationship with her, with her driving instructor, which was already so weird, uh, Scott, played by Eddie Marson, who also did a great job. Yeah, he um, was spectacular. But to end with him like attacking her and then going off on her for leading him on and then she apologizes to him. I was like, fuck this. No, uh-uh. I, I was out. I was like, this, that undermined everything I just watched. Like, no, I, for me, it, yeah, it was, it was a, just a bad ending, which kind of ruined the movie for me. That's yeah. I, I get that. I do. I, I think it's greatest fault is that it's just like 30 minutes too long. It doesn't have a story really either. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like right up my alley. It's got kind of, kind of, you know, raw, pretty easygoing directing with a, a screenplay that goes nowhere with a lot of talking, like a lot, a lot of talking and really funny shit. Like my favorite bit from this movie <laughs> was when uh, Sally Hawkins character, Poppy was at lunch with a friend and she's like, oh, how's, how's your daughter? And she goes, oh, Darren's dumped him. Thanks, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> I just fucking lost it, you know. I, I'm kind of a fucking sucker for those kind of screenplays. And there's, of course, a bit of Mike Lee and Martin McDonough. You know, there's a bit of that British just kind of 
disdain for stuff and cynicism. Uh, Mike Lee is a guy who I I want to I want to check out more of. You know, I I know he's had a pretty long career. You know, Secrets and Lies is a movie I've almost watched so many times, and now I really want to. I and Sally Hawkins just kind of kind of blew me away. So yeah, I, I was I was kind of like all on board. The ending is a bit obscure, but you know me, I I'm I'm like ninety percent journey, ten percent end guy. I I I I really just care about if the movie that I'm watching for most of the time is kind of kind of keeping me in and keeping me entertained, keeping me interested. And Happy Go Lucky did that kind of through and through, even though the ending was a little weird. I still give it an eight. I think it's yeah, I think it's a solid flick, and I definitely recommend it. <laughs> Nah, see if I'm, you know, if I'm drawing it, if I'm told to draw a straight line, I draw a straight line. And at the end, I just curb to the left. I failed. I didn't draw a straight line. (laughs) No, I Yeah, but I like hooks. I like hooks too. I don't need a lot. I like hooks. (laughs) I I like to, I like to feel like I accomplished something when I watch a movie. I like to feel like I just watched a solid story. I'm better for it. I know. Yeah. And this, this could have been that. I mean, if they added another, like, you know, half hour to this, like, he's, Scott's going to kill her. Like, that's going to happen. Like, he's going to break into her house and murder her. (laughs) Like, that was never resolved. She didn't make him, you know, I thought she was going to make him a better person or make him realize he was a bastard or something. That was... It just ended with, like, you know, fuck you and fuck you too. (laughs) Yeah. She kind of seemed to be... You know, that was kind of her deal was like she wanted to help people until it kind of got to a certain point, you know, and her her character gets called out, you know, and there's definitely instances where you're frustrated with her because she's kind of kind of leading people just people on like for no reason, really kind of flaky a little bit. But but I I, I, Poppy as a character as like a person, I I don't know if I would want to be friends with, but her friend. Yeah, her friend was hilarious. (laughs) I have been friends with poppies. I know a couple poppies right now. And I enjoy being around poppies because I am oftentimes a very cynical, oftentimes, you know, kind of glasses half empty kind of guy. And having those people around makes me feel a little bit better about life. And uh, so the whole time I'm just thinking like, she's really nice to everybody and nobody's nice to her. Like, yeah. I wanted somebody to be nice to her, but instead it kind of blows up in her face. I was kind of hoping that homeless dude was going to like save her. <laughs> oh <laughs> like, man. That would have been really cool if he's just like, you know, and like beats the shit out of Scott. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Is he still there? Yeah. That was an interesting scene. Yeah. <laughs> like what the fuck? It's just, it's, it was pieces together. And I, I, the whole time I'm thinking like, I totally understand why Austin likes this. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, please go somewhere, please. How <laughs> I want to justify this viewing, and it oh, didn't. Man. I was like, "Fuck!" So, whatever. It's it's a seven to me. It's not terrible, but I think it it could have been better. And I don't like the way they handled the relationship with the driver. That's fair. That's fair. And yeah, of course, they're like major scenes because he's on the screen a ton. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like that. I like when that happens when we, neither of us had seen it and who knows what happens on a rewatch. Maybe we reverse and you're like, I like it more. And I'm like, no, <laughs> maybe yeah. come come back. Yeah, you never know. But uh, th- the next one, 
I think we agree a bit more on uh, Frozen River, directed, written and directed by Courtney Hunt. It's yeah. uh, her directorial debut, and boy, oh boy, can you tell. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, shade. I like it. Yeah, sh- I-, I like this movie. I like Frozen River. I think Melissa Leo is like something to behold yeah. as an actress, and I think she's fucking nailing it mm-hmm. in this movie. And I think Misty Upham, uh, rest in peace, I think she's kind of giving her her all in this movie as well. Is she dead? Uh, yeah, yeah, she died in 2014, I believe, yeah. Uh, yeah, she's, she's pretty pretty awesome in this movie. But aside from that, the acting is so bad. Yeah. And so shoddy. She was 32. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, yeah it's, trauma. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, she's I didn't killed. really... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was murdered, yeah. Fuck. I, I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know I, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't know if we would get into it or not. I just wanted to, like, bring her up. Because I think she's pretty good in this movie. I really do. I think she's... And then I was online. I was on Wikipedia just looking at uh, looking at Courtney Hunt. And then I looked at Misty Upham, and I was like, I've seen... She was in August Osage County. I was like, who is this? And then I saw... I was like, oh, my God, she passed away, you know, right after August Osage County, like a year later. And yeah, just kind of brutal stuff. But uh, watching this movie, watching this movie, you know, she leaves be, leaves behind a pretty honest and authentic uh, performance. Well, I am very sorry to hear that. I did not know about that. Um, rest in peace. Uh, this movie, I agree with you. Melissa Leo was outstanding. Yeah, but is this not like I think Courtney Hunt's a uh, a Breaking Bad fan because. It's the same thing. You replace meth with smuggling. It's the same story. That's what bugged me the most. Like, I've seen this before done infinitely better. <laughs> I did it just, yeah, I thought it was um, kind of lazy more than anything else. Like, the relationships didn't really make sense. Getting to, like, forging these relationships didn't really make sense. Uh, the ending where she's, like, just, like, what, two and a half months for good behavior? Like, that's the consequences here? After all that shit, she's just like, the cops is like, you'll be all right. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, this, oh boy. <laughs> Frozen River. These, the, these are the movies that you, you watch and you stick with because it's like watching a really young kid try to like make a basket, you know, in basketball. Like he's kind of small and the, the goal is, you know, it's 10 feet high. So the kid is like, ah, you know, and the, the ball can't quite get up to the rim. And with this movie, yeah. it's it it constantly just just misses and makes the wrong decision, puts the camera in the wrong place. Yeah. Has has zero idea how to film two people in a you know environment where it's supposed to feel intense. I'm gonna say something kind of controversial. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. I think the baby should have died. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, that's, I don't think that's, yeah, of course it's controversial with like yeah. no context, but I think if you, <laughs> I, I, I think yeah. if you've seen, I think if you've seen Frozen River, of course, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, we spoil everything. Yeah. Uh, with Frozen River, I agree. I think that would have, okay, first off, the movie could have been another 10, 15 minutes because now you have a direct conflict where, Oh my God, as an audience member, 
what the fuck would I do in this situation? You know? And, and they just kind of throw that away. Yeah. They just, they, they just bail, just bail it out. The screenplay bails Melissa Leo's character out Ray multiple times, multiple times. And then at the end, like you said, with this two month thing, like, and there's going to be someone watching your kids. Like, I just, I don't know. Man. I, I was, I was definitely impressed by, by those two performances. And I was impressed by some of the tone. Yeah. But as a whole movie, it just doesn't really work, you know, yep. uh, all, all together. Uh, yeah. What, what was your rating of this one? Seven? Seven. Seven. Yeah, I think I'd give it a seven, two. I'm even flirting with the six just because, yeah, I think it's just so poorly crafted, you know. I, agree. I think I think Courtney Hunt is someone I'd be willing to give a chance with, like, watching more of her 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 stuff. But with this movie in particular, I think she just like I think her screenplay and her directing was just kind of undercooked, you know. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think that Frozen River is a missed opportunity. Uh, and I just I it really did bug me how similar it was to Breaking Bad, which had come out like eight months earlier. that's so true it's like season one yeah Yeah. first step the pilot of breaking bad and this fucking movie are the same it's just in the you know it's on the ice instead of in the desert (laughs) perfect you gotta gotta love that melissa leo was up for for best actress for that movie but uh yeah I i think we've definitely settled that there's a clear bottom three and a clear top two here so you want to keep, I think you, you want to keep happy-go-lucky. Oh, I mean, if we're talking all of 2008, no. I mean, no, no. I, 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 think it's, I think it's good, and I like it a lot. But if I look, you know, if I go on Letterboxd here and I look at 2008 of all the movies I've seen, you know, no. I mean, my, my five might look entirely different. I think In Bruges would be the only one that might stay, stay here, you know, uh, I have to really look at it, you know, yeah. but, but, but I think when you're looking at these five, I don't think happy go lucky is the worst. <laughs> it's not, it's not the worst. Yeah. Frozen river is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, say what you want about happy go lucky. At least it's original. Yeah. And it's got some moments that really just kind of make you belt out laughing. Yeah. I mean, when she's getting her back uh, oh, yeah. adjusted and she's just like, just talking. So, and he's like, okay. <laughs> okay then we're just gonna are you ready miss <laughs> i didn't like that we never got to see any follow-up on the angry kid and his home yeah, life i thought that yeah. was going to be a, an important subplot and then all that did was get her to meet the guy that's the whole reason that kid existed in the movie and yeah that's a that's a cop-out so mm, mm. yeah i definitely definitely wish there was follow-up on that on that kid because that scene was fucking intense yeah that was yeah, I wanted to see her, you know, use her powers for good, you know, get this kid to open up and help this kid. And then at the end, you know, they'd high five or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I know what you mean. There's some kind of there's got to be a little. Got to be a little, you know, closure on the on the, the fucking student there. Yeah, because she is a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think that, you know, if I was going to knock out any two, it would be Frozen River and Wally. Uh. Yeah, yeah, I think Frozen Rivers five, Wally four, Happy Go Lucky three, Milk two, 
and Bruges won. So let's talk about milk. Milk. Uh, <laughs> milk. Milk's what won, of course, did really, really well at this uh, at this ceremony at the oh. 81st Academy Awards. Sean Penn won for Best Actor. It was up for Best Picture. Uh, Gus Van Sant was up for Best Director. Just, just a lot of stuff going on for this movie. And I got to say, I love Milk. It was very, very important for me watching this. Uh, actually, I actually watched this <laughs> kind of funny. When I was living in Romania for the first time is when I watched Milk. I was struggling a bit with why I was living in Romania because I was there as a, working as a, in a Christian organization as, as a missionary is what I was doing there. And I remember watching that, this movie and as, you know, basic or whatever you want to call me, I don't really care. Milk and learning about Harvey Milk and watching Sean Penn, reading about Sean Penn, reading about Gus Van Sant, uh, Emil Hirsch, James Franco, all these people are involved in the movie and then the real life people totally punched me in the face and changed my perspective on some stuff. And, you know, I was, I was 18. Yeah, I was 18 when I saw it. And at the time was, you know, kind of all in as a, a Bible believing Christian. And so there's just something in me that was, I remember there was a stint when I was just kind of watching movies and I was just kind of renting them and just kind of, you know, checking stuff out. And I, I don't know what drew me in, but I just was like, ah, fuck it. You know, I'll watch, I'll watch milk. And there's just, there's gotta be a reason for that. You know, uh, I think a lot of people would say, but there was a reason you were, you know, there as a missionary. Well, for me, from my perspective, the, the life I was living there to me, it was more of a wake up call watching this movie. And of course what it's about, you know, and, kind of silly that it took that long you know for me to be kind of whacked in the face by a movie like that um you know from from then on out you know to, to now some of my very 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 favorite movies of all time are you know lgbtq you know films or you know like cheryl dunier you know, gus van sant or you know these people that were a huge part of this kind of you know, new queer wave of films in the late eighties and nineties. And of course, Gus Van Sant's a huge part of that. And you got to think that Harvey Milk's a guy who helped influence this kind of stuff. Just kind of a meeting of all these things at the summit, you know, where I'm like, this shit matters. This, this, this is people, this is people's lives, you know, this is their identity. And it's an uber important movie, I think for for just movie fans to watch, but I think it's important for people to watch like at a young age and, and learn. I think it's a biopic worth sitting down and kind of showing people, Hey, this is one that's worth kind of sitting down and checking out. Uh, and I, I, you know, with all that said, I think the screenplay is, is wonderful, but I don't think in, in the art of filmmaking, I don't think it really compares to in Bruges. I think in Bruges is, you know, just kind of like <laughs> just made for the screen. You know, it, it truly is just cut perfectly for the screen. But Milk, I get why it won. I get it. It's an awesome, awesome movie and written written with some kind of historical, you know, like serious, 
they, they took it really seriously, the historical aspects of it. And that, that's good to see. First of all, thank you for sharing such a personal anecdote regarding this film. That's a, uh, I respect that. It's, it's silly to just see movies as movies to me. You know, I think it's very dumb to let art pass you by and to not reckon with it, you know, and let it kind of seek in, sink into you. Um, and allowing that to be, be what you feel about it, uh, whether it be you like it or not, you know, I think genuinely trying to take something from, from something, whether it be a biopic or happy go lucky, or, you know, think, I think that's the most important thing is you have to do the work to find it. You have to do the work to change yourself by watching the art and, you know, adapting. It's not the movies that it's not up to the movie to do that for you. You have to, you have to watch it. You have to pay attention and you got to do your research afterwards. I agree. I agree. I'm, you know, I've always been a big believer in the power of film and how it can change lives. And I've had my life changed very, you know, a lot by various films. They've kind of, you know, guided me to this point. Mm -hmm. um, my film selection since I was a kid has, you know, brought me here and influenced the way I believe the way I think. And it's, it's amazing that, you know, art has the power to do that. And a lot of people don't see films as art in that way, but I 100% disagree. And yeah. Milk is a monumental film about a man who changed the way uh, gay people are perceived in this country. Uh, you know, the first openly gay elected official in the United States. And uh, he was a revolutionary. He was a great man. And what happened to him was a fucking tragedy. Uh, and I love this movie. I was moved to tears when I saw this and, uh, I 100%, uh, understand why it won screenplay. It was a very personal, very passionate screenplay. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think any other year in Bruges could have taken it, but I do think milk wedges it out ever so slightly just because of how personal that was. Yeah, I understand. I understand. I, I think my idea of the best original screenplay is just, I think I'm just confused because the Oscars have never been sure of what they want out of this category. True. And, and to me, like the Pulp Fictions and the Imbruges and the ones that are just kind of bah, 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 bah. I guess that's my idea of what should win. But I think you, you, you may be right where, no, what's the one that's more just kind of hitting you in the heart that might be the one that should win. I, I love that these two are going against each other. I love it. This is one of the reasons I wanted to start this whole show was to pit, to pit movies against each other in these categories and actually look at it. And it's very clear that Milk and, and Bruges, for us to stand above these other, these other three. Without a doubt. Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a coin toss for me. Um, yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, <laughs> same, I think. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> uh, you know, but it is cool to see. I like that the Oscars have split it into original and adapted. It's good to have that, you know, give it, give some, you know, a lot of movies a little bit more of a shot there. Uh, but yeah, I can understand why, you know, in Bruges kind of resonates more with you in regards to an original story that, like you said, pops. Uh, 
yeah, it's just, you know, it's all subjective and I really have no way to like to claim which one deserves it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's why the Oscars are so silly, right? It's like, <laughs> how can you say a piece of art deserves something over another piece of art? Well, it's all, it's just, it's just for, I just have a fun conversation out of it usually, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, you, you mentioned adapted. Let's just, just real quick, before we get to our awards, I, I want to look at a, a couple things from this ceremony and let's look at, let's look at adapted screenplay before we hit uh, supporting actor. Uh, the reader, Frost Nixon, Doubt, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, and the winner, Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> the fucking difference in that category in the best original is kind of incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. The adapted is like, you know, all of those films. Well, I have not seen The Reader or The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, but I've heard great things. Yeah, both wicked serious movies. Yeah. <laughs> well, all of those, all five of those are incredibly serious. And then you exactly. the screenplay and you got, you know, two comedies, a kid's movie um, and two dramas. <laughs> yeah. And, and one Martin McDonough movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you think Slumdog Millionaire should have taken Best Adapted Screenplay that year? No, I don't think that movie should have really won anything. I like it. But I don't think it sure. I think I think nominations are fine, but I I don't think it stood out that strongly in one uh, place. But but I do think like as a movie, I think I give it a I think I gave it an eight on Letterboxd. I think it's a good movie. But when we're talking about you know the best of the best from 2008, I don't I don't think it's really in that conversation. Fair enough. I'm surprised the Dark Knight's not in there. For adapted? Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Let's go ahead and talk about the best part of that movie. So best supporting actor, you know, this is special because of course Heath Ledger wins, wins uh, the award for playing Joker uh, posthumous award. What's, what's even, you know, more special than him, than him winning is uh, how, how well that role has, you know, aged and how much respect he like just still has and how I hear younger people, you know, as I'm, you know, getting into my mid twenties and I'll hear people that are younger than me in their early twenties talking about Heath Ledger. And I'm like, Oh yes. You know? And it's, it's like never going to stop because of what he the, the amazing stuff he did in such a, such a short stint, you know? And of course the biggest one would be this would be, would be this role. This is, you know, by far and away the most popular thing, most, you know, acclaimed thing that he did while he was here and he fucking won for it. And I'm really glad he did. I am too. I'm, I think it's amazing that he, you know, broke new ground with a superhero movie winning an acting Oscar. That's, you know, that's only happened to date. It's happened twice. And the other role was also the Joker. <laughs> um, but it is, you know, I, I credit Heath Ledger and Christopher Nolan with, changing everything for superhero movies and showing the Academy that they could be legitimate award-winning films that deserved recognition alongside some of the greats that the Oscars have awarded. And um, I love that to death. I love that so much. And it is fitting that Heath Ledger won this award. And the only thing I regret is that he didn't get to accept it in person. Yeah, that's, that's, obviously you know just shattering and there's no telling what else the man could have accomplished you know 
as you know, this is over a decade ago now. It's just really hard to kind of stomach that, that it's, that it's been that long and all this time has passed where he could have, you know, just be working, working nonstop. He could be in his forties now. Uh, it's just really, really crazy. Uh, yeah. He, he beat, he beat Josh Brolin, Robert Downey Jr., Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Michael Shannon. <laughs> My God, what an amazing group. Yeah, and I, I've watched that, uh, you know, I've watched that show before, you know, of course, I, I, I watched, I remember watching that one live with my parents, but I've watched it since, you know, on YouTube, and when they, you know, do the award for Heath Ledger, and they show everybody, and Philip Seymour Hoffman's just there in a beanie, you know, just hanging out, and yeah. of course, you know, of course, he's, he's passed away since, since then, and that was, that was tough to see, right? To see Philip Seymour Hoffman clapping for Heath Ledger, who passed away, and that's just double double whammy. These two legends, yeah, uh, who are nominated right here in the same category at this show that we're talking about. Crazy. Yeah, it's it's weird uh, looking back on those things. Um, had it not been, you know, Heath Ledger was never going to lose this award, but had it not been, had he not been up. Of these four, who do you think had the best chance of possibly snagging an award? Damn. <laughs> um, Jesus Christ. I'll say PSH. You know, I'm obviously a huge fan. But when I really look at it, you know, I think in doubt. Then again, in doubt, you know, you got Meryl Streep, Amy Adams, and Valo Davis, and him, who all could have won an Oscar, and I would have been totally understanding of that. Yeah. Uh, what What about you? I have a feeling you're going to lean towards uh, Kirk Lazarus. I I don't try to hide my bias. We all know what I'm about at this point. Um, <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder is doing something no actor has ever, ever in the history of Hollywood managed to get away with. And that is using blackface in an ironic way that has not to date gotten him in trouble. And I applaud that every time I watch that movie because of how smart that joke is and how layered that performance is. He's playing an Australian actor who is so method that he is playing a black man. And that is unbelievable. I, that performance is so layered that, you know, I, I forget that it's in a comedy movie. Like, it's, it's, it's a work of art. That performance is a work of art. And I would have loved to have seen him walk away with an Oscar for that. Oh, man. Yeah. I, <laughs> I totally hear you on that. I'm, I'm very comfortable. That, that would be, that'd be the next choice. Yeah, I think. Because, you know, Revolutionary Road, I need, I need to rewatch that. And Josh Brolin and Milk is, is solid, but he's also just done, I think, other things that are much better. Yeah. But RDJ... You know, I think this and Zodiac and his work as Tony Stark are that's kind of kind of the, the money spot. Yeah, it is. You know, I'm glad that I, I'm pretty sure he filmed Tropic Thunder first because if he had become a superstar, there's no way he would have risked everything else on Tropic Thunder. You know, like he needed to hit rock bottom first to do a movie like that. <laughs> Current Robert Downey Jr., not a chance in hell he does Tropic Thunder. Yeah, yeah, I, I am, I'm definitely with with you on that one. I think that's for sure with all those all, all those guys who are attached to the MCU. You know, they don't want to lose that shit. 
yeah, it's a, I think it's a good bunch. Um, I would have some, you know, there's some movies I think that should be in, should be in this ceremony, especially in the screenplay category. Yeah, it, it's kind of incredible when I was looking at all the films that have come out, I was like, this could be its own show. Just bringing up a bunch of 2008 movies that could have been up for stuff. Uh, do, do you want to do you want to name a few just real quick before sure we before we get into our awards? I mean, I, I know we've kind of put them off, but this is fun as hell. I know. I have two movies that I think should take the screenplay slot away from Wally and Frozen River. I think I have a guess on one of them. Okay. The first one is Gran Torino. Ah, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I think that film is underrated. Uh, should have gotten a lot of attention. It's a great story. Uh, I would have, yeah, would have loved to see that. The other one is Burn After Reading. Yes, of course. Coen's, yeah, of course. <laughs> one of the Coen's <laughs> weirdest movies. I think Malkovich should be up for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, I think that movie, another, another very weird story that I think just meshes with something that 2008 just had. 2008 was a year of experimentation in film. I think there's a lot of oddball choices going on in 08 that, you know, kind of made like, or broken or broke some careers. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Burn After Reading is a great movie to uh, throw into that pile. All right. Yeah. I totally agree. That's the one. Uh, that was the first one. That one in Hunger, Steve McQueen's Hunger, were the two I was going to kind of point out. Uh, a, a fun one that I'd, I'd like to, a couple of fun ones. Sorry. I think that Ponyo, Studio Ghibli, film definitely should have been nominated for best uh, animated feature and then i think kelly records wendy and lucy um whether it be michelle williams or or kelly record herself up for directing i i just think that movie got overlooked you know and screenplay not so much the movie much uh, operates much more on a uh, a visual scale you know and kelly's directing is really on point with that movie and i 2008's also, if you just kind of look at it, is like you you realize 2007, 2008, 2009 is really when comedy is kind of you know ending an era. Yeah, the the, the raunchy, super bad, Tropic Thunder, Hangover, those kind of movies. Are, it's those are those aren't made anymore. You know. Yeah. That's not a, that's not really a thing anymore. Step Brothers 2008. <laughs> uh, uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall 2008. You know these movies don't really get made anymore uh, in this style. You know comedies are, can still be done. There's just there, there's a lot more like hoops to go through, uh, and that that's unfortunate. But I think it's going to be good for the genre in the long haul, if that makes any sense. I don't. I think that any kind of repression when it comes to art is bad. I think that, you know, restricting what we can and can't say in film is just going to hurt the genre. We've seen that happen. We've seen, we've seen that, you know, what happens when Hollywood kind of puts its foot down and says, you can't do this. And it never ends well. So I don't like this. I want to, you know, I think that we should be expressing, you know, expressing ourselves in every possible way, regardless of who we offend. And try to make the best of, you know, the best art we can do. I'm, yeah. Yeah, that's tough. I don't know. I mean, I think it's, I think, I think I'm, you know, neutral on the, on, on that kind of a topic. You know, it's something that could be talked about forever, you know. No. Is kind of like what's acceptable and what does it matter, you know. And 
like there's like the great Tom Segura bit in his stand-up where he's like, don't go to the comedy show if you don't want to be offended, you know? Yeah. And that's definitely that's definitely like a stance. But there's also something to being aware, being aware of people's feelings. So I do think as I've rewatched, you know, some of like the 2000s comedies, I think it's good that some of that stuff doesn't happen anymore in comedy. Uh, do I want there to be rules all over the place? I don't want, I don't, I don't want that either, but, but there's, you know, there's some stuff, you know, that's not really just not really funny in the first place. Uh, I'll use an example. Cause I don't want to just be that guy. <clears throat> um, like in the hangover, I'll use one that's directly from this, this kind of era. It's 2009, I believe. There's, you know, towards the beginning of the film, you know, a huge bit where uh, I want to say it's Bradley Cooper is saying, you know, to, I believe, Ed Helms' character, he's like, paging Dr. Faggot. I believe, I believe that's, uh, I believe that's the, the, the actor who says it. And Bradley Cooper, Oscar nominated guy four times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's good that that's not in movies anymore. Uh, I, I think there's, there's a, there's a way to do it. If you are, if you have a character who's, you know, just being a fucking bully and is being a total dick and he calls someone that word, I, I, I get it. You know, I get it. It's, it's, it's useful for the story. It's something that, but when you're just using it as a, as purely as a gag, I, I think it's okay that some of the stuff doesn't, you know, doesn't really fly anymore because, because it's just not really funny. And it's kind of quite frankly, it's a little bit lazy, you know, yeah. but I also, I, I think, I think you're coming from, I'm, I'm not speaking to you. I'm kind of speaking on the, on the subject. Cause I think you agree with me. I think you don't want, want to offend people. <laughs> that's never, of course your intention, but I think that's where the conversation is. I think there's like, I don't think there is a line. I think you just, I think it goes movie by movie or story by story. You just, just, just be smart with your own story. You know, of course, if your character is a racist cop, then he's going to say racist things. But if you're going to just Quentin Tarantino, just place yourself in your movie to say these offhanded things that just have nothing to do with the story. That's kind of fucking dumb, you know? Yeah. And a lot of comedies did that in the two thousands where it was just like making fun of groups of people. It's just like, what? That's not a joke. You're, yeah you're stereotyping and generalizing people. That's not really a joke. You're just bullying and making fun of people. And so I, I think there's a line or, or, or there's not, not a line is my point is that it's kind of gray. Well, here's, here's where I'm coming from. Um, I'm all for film and, you know, stories and culture organically growing to accept all forms of people to accept, you know, the things have changed. I just don't want Hollywood to say that they can't do certain things. I don't want restrictions. Mm -hmm. Like I want it to, if it's going to happen, great. I mean, I've seen some stuff that, you know, I like, for example, I just watched uh, this past Christmas holiday Inn. Yeah. And there's a whole blackface segment in that. Oh movie. yeah. Not need to be there. And it's super <laughs> uncomfortable. I mean, I yeah. watched an episode of Frasier a few weeks ago from like 2002, I think it was where, um, Frazier gets a new producer for a week. That's an outspoken black woman who kind of hijacks his show with her own ideas. And he's afraid to 
to like tell her to stop because he doesn't want to be perceived as a racist, even though race has nothing to do with this. And he and his brother kind of like, you know, enact what he thinks she's going to say. And Frazier plays her. And oh Lord. Like ridiculous. The word massa is thrown around. Like it, it gets bad. And I was like, fuck, I, I cringed. Like, what is this? So I hate that shit. I hate lazy, racist, you know, sexist, homophobic, just, you know, quote unquote jokes. Yeah. And I don't want that around either, but it really, you know, I also just don't want producers to say like, don't write that. Cause that also pisses me off. <laughs> so it's, it's a layered thing for me. Now. It is. It's super layered. And I think, I think really it comes down to the people that are making these films or, you know, whatever, it, whatever the medium is, is just, just use your brain, use your yeah. brain with the situation. Be smart. Like you're saying, like you're saying without, so we don't have to have restrictions and rules. Don't, don't fucking cross the line. You know, don't, don't have a character saying nonsensical shit just for the hell of it. And then we'll be okay. Then we won't have to talk about this, you know? Well, that's why I love Tropic Thunder because it's so smart with that joke. It's, you know, he's playing an Australian guy playing a black guy. So he's going out of his way to be like the way he thinks you know, a 70s or 60s black dude would talk. And then Brandon T. Jackson's just like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Stop it. The whole time. Like, it's an ongoing gag that's smart and makes sense. I mean, the never go full retard thing could be done differently now, I think. But, you know, baby steps. (laughs) Yeah, I just, you know, I like smart humor and I like people being creative. And if there's a way we can kind of intersect that, everyone wins. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, this is a great segue into just doing our awards is in Bruges totally flirts with that line. Yes. Totally. (laughs) Yes, it does. But it's because it's dealing with like piece of shit, you know, assassin killer characters. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) Oh man. So good. Uh, This is gonna be fun, man. This has been, this has been a a wild ride to get here. Uh, (laughs) You know, in Bruges, obviously a movie that, that impacts us a lot. And we have, both have picked out awards here. We got the Tarantino for best quote or line. Yeah. We got the Ennio Morricone award for best music moment. Uh, and then we got the PSH award, Philip Seymour Hoffman for best performance and the Roger Deakins award for best moment or scene in the movie. So before we get to the awards, you got anything else? No, I think, uh, I think we've, uh, we've teased this enough. <laughs> we're here. We're here. We're here. Go ahead and take it away with your Tarantino. Okay. So I have two. Uh, Hell Yes. Hi, it's narrowing hard. This, narrowing this down was difficult. Um, I'm going to start with the one that I've always kind of loved from this because it's so mean, but so just out of the blue funny. And it's when uh, Ken, Brennan Gleason, is kind of, you know, irritated that Ray is not enjoying Bruges or impressed by it. And oh, God, yes. Ray responds with, Ken, I grew up in Dublin. I love Dublin. If I'd grown up on a farm and was retarded, Bruges might impress me, but I didn't, so it doesn't. <laughs> it's so mean, but fuck, man, I lo- I laugh harder at that every time. <clears throat> yeah, this is this this is this is what we were just talking about. Yeah, is he's just Ray is just a foul mouthed 
fucking scoundrel, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and he's, that's what his character is. That's what he does. That's, he just kind of lives and breathes to just kind of talk shit, just kind of bullshit. Yeah. And, and I, I kind of can't stand him, but I also love him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, remember why we're here, you know, he, he, he murdered a child. Yeah. He's not a good guy. <laughs> he's not a good person at all. Yeah. I love that the movie kind of makes you forget about that weirdly. Like, He's our, you know, he's our hero in an odd way, but he's here because he murdered a child by accident and his boss wants him dead for doing that. Yeah. So weird. And my other line, uh, be prepared. You're going to hear me say the C word quite a lot. Um, <laughs> so it's when Harry finally shows up and he and Ken are at an outside like cafe chatting about the situation. And Ken is just fully honest with what he thinks about Harry and says, Harry, let's face it. And I'm not being funny. I mean, no disrespect, but you're a cunt. <laughs> you're a cunt now, and you've always been a cunt. And the only thing that's going to change is you're going to be an even bigger cunt. Maybe even have some more cunt kids. And that's when Harry freaks out. He's like, you leave my kids out of this. <laughs> he didn't give a shit that <laughs> Ken just called him a cunt. But he's like, don't you just talk about my children like that. <laughs> it's, so that whole bit just, yeah. I love it. I love the way the Brits use the C word. It's interchangeable with like idiot and asshole. It's just part of their dialect. You, you drop the C-bomb here, you're going to turn some heads. <laughs> so yeah, I just, I, I, um, I watch a lot of British films. So hearing that word always makes me just kind of giggle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think it's a very silly word that we've as a society allowed to be this harmful thing. Uh, God, that 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 bit is so good because like you pointed out when he when Harry gets kind of gets offended. Yeah. It's like, buddy hell, I'm gonna have to shoot you right here in the streets if you keep talking about my kids. <laughs> oh man. He's like, Are you trying to are you trying to stir me up? Salt my fucking kids. That's going overboard, mate. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I love I love that scene. Just like just amazing acting from those two right there, you know. There are no really bad words, stuff. only bad people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so true. Uh, uh, well, good. My, uh, my, my, my Tarantino, I have one. It comes from Ray. And it's just a, a bit of, you know, they're, Ray and Ken are having a bit of banter. And they're, well, they're, they're looking at art. And it's really funny to see these two dudes and their different perspectives on the art that they're looking at. And uh, Ray says... Purgatory is kind of like the in-betweeny one. You weren't really shit, but you weren't really that great either. Like Tottenham. <laughs> now, now there's a reason that I picked this one. First of all, it's funny as hell. And then at the end, throws on the like Tottenham. <laughs> now, that may confuse some folks out there, but Tottenham would be uh, the rival football club of Martin McDonough's football club. So, cause that's, he was born in London. Tottenham's also in London. So he's throwing a lot of shade there at Tottenham football club as a whole. And this is in 2008. Since then, they still haven't won anything big. <laughs> uh, I'm a Chelsea fan. So this is, this is great. This is a great quote. Chelsea's not very far from Tottenham, uh, both, both clubs in, in, in London. So this made me just kind of crack up rewatching it. I, I didn't catch out the first time I watched it uh, and just great, great delivery from, from Colin Farrell. Oh, beautiful. Great. Yeah. This, there's so many 
great lines in this movie. Uh, it's it's tough to really narrow it down. Like oh, one of my yeah. one of my favorites that didn't make it was when <laughs> Ray's uh, just sitting on the bench outside the bell tower, and those fat Americans walk up and are like, you know, they're gonna go up the tower, and he's like, oh, you shouldn't go up there. It's like, what are you saying? Like, what do you mean? What am I saying? <laughs> These are giant fucking elephants. <laughs> and then he tries to chase him. <laughs> and then Ken comes out of the tower and is like, you shouldn't go up there. And the woman just goes, screw you, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. like, you what? are so rude. Yeah. You are just the worst person. Yeah. <laughs> Frank Gleason's like, what was, what was that all about? <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> use, use her a bunch of elephants. <laughs> that whole exchange could have been in my, in my Tarantino. Yeah. Oh, man. So good. Oh. The the Ennio Morricone we have already talked about Carter Burwell of course who's the composer of this score yeah but uh, I, I'm gonna go ahead and go first because I didn't choose Carter Burwell's uh, score I chose On Wranglin Road by the Dubliners as Brendan Gleeson takes his fall to his death Uh-oh. as Ken uh, just an old school Irish song pretty gritty could have been playing in any gangster movie and it would just be super badass and sentimental fucking drops the coins down in the fog of, of Bruges and jumps to his death. Pretty, pretty spectacular stuff and a great needle drop. Oh, dude. Great choice. I am a huge fan of the Dubliners. I love who, Irish. Who isn't? If you're not a fan of the Dubliners, do yourself a favor. Go listen to the Dubliners. <laughs> I would also recommend the high Kings and okay. Um, okay. Gaelic storm. Check them out. There you go. There's I really little, like Irish music. There's a little homework for you. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great one, man. Good choice. Enyo, Enyo Morricone, not always about the score. Sometimes the needle drop. Yep. Sometimes those are the most interesting decisions. Oh, for sure. Mine comes about when Harry arrives in town and goes to meet with Ken because there is an emotional energy that changes in the mm. score. You know, with Ken and, and Ray in Bruges, it's kind of, you know, a little like, a little bouncy, a little like, you know, one last time together, kind of you know, reminiscent almost. When Harry shows up, it gets a little charged and emotional, and it really matches Harry's, not only his anger, but his uncertainty about what he wants to do here. Because not only does he have to kill Ray, he now is you know, fighting the fact that he might also have to kill Ken here. And he loves Ken. He doesn't want to do that. And you can hear that in the score, and you can see it in his eyes, and they work together to build this uncertainty. And it's fucking beautiful. Ugh, what a choice. That's brilliant. That's what the award's all about. It's finding that exact moment. Oh, yeah. Uh, what is your um, PSH? The Philip Seymour Hoffman. Usually a nice and fascinating award here. Uh, I, I do think, yeah, you know, there's, there's three guys that are, that are up for this one. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, went through my mind quite a bit on this one, but I kept coming back to Mr. Gleason as Ken. Uh, Brendan Gleason takes the PSH for me. And I would, I would love to say that if we did 28 days later on this show, I think maybe he'd take that one too. <laughs> no, I know. I, I, I think he's great, man. I'm really glad we got to talk about him kind of at, at length earlier. And he is so damn good in this movie. And what I, what I kind of came to was that all three of them are amazing. Colin, Brendan, and Rafe. 
Holland is, you know, a bit bit of a wild card, obviously, and is playing this character. He's drunk at points and trying to get laid and doing this and doing that. At one point, shoots a blank into a guy's eye and <laughs> totally, totally, totally off his rocker. Very, very familiar with characters like that. But this Ken character feels so damn original and feels like a guy that I, I, I truly, I, I kind of touched on earlier, I, I truly would watch, you know, however many episodes, it doesn't matter, of, of that character, Ken, dealing with other people in his line of work. Because he has a way about him that, you know, is kind of easygoing uh, for this, this guy who's dealing, in, dealing with crime. And the way he kind of justifies it a little bit, like, oh, some of the people aren't so good. You know, they're not, they're not very nice people anyway, the people we're putting away. How he kind of sees himself as not, not like the bad of the bad, you know. He kind of philosophizes with, philosophizes with his own criminality. And I, I think that's really fascinating. Um, of course, there's the scenes, you know, that I point out, like with him and Ray looking at, the art that's one of the one of the best scenes of the movie to me but a whole the whole time ken is ken is just super interesting to me and i feel as though ray and harry while they're both unbelievable characters i I think the reason i chose ken was because i i think he's a bit more original for me as a fan that's it i think i think that was it because they're all three so damn good they are. And I get that, you know, Ken, I would love to see his story. You know, what made him into this man, like him and Harry, like where did their relationships start? Like what is yeah. his loyalty? Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much unspoken history here. That is so beautiful. Um, but I had to go with my gut and go with Mr. Harry Waters. Ray Fines. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Firecracker. <laughs> From the sec- from the second he call- you get you hear him on the other end of a phone call, you're like, who is this violent gentleman? <laughs> who is this guy who hates everything? Like he is just such an aggressive motherfucker, but also weirdly endearing. Like he has a code of honor that you kind of respect. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's it then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh and man. Just his, you know. Everything he says, I love hearing Ray Fines as like a Cockney North London gangster. Yeah. <laughs> That's you're oh an inanimate fucking object, like from, you know, <laughs> yeah. all of that. <laughs> the 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 line when he says, "An Uzi, I'm not from South Central Los fucking Angeles." <laughs> I want a normal oh gun for a normal God. person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How how can fucking swans not fucking be somebody's fucking thing, eh? <laughs> Who is this guy? Like, how is this a human being functioning in society? Uh, um, yeah, he's he is truly wonderful, and you have me thinking about my choice. <laughs> <laughs> and so my fucking kids, that's going overboard. But yeah, retract yeah, that bit about my cut fucking kid. <laughs> <laughs> Are you <laughs> retract night with that? bitch <laughs> uh, yeah jesus but, christ but with all that you get like you kind of get it you know he's a gangster he does bad shit but he doesn't want to be a monster he doesn't consider himself a monster and he hates that he has to do this 
he doesn't want to do this. He needs to do this because he believes Ray has crossed the line. And with Ken siding with Ray, you know, Harry's conflicted. And I love that Rafe can bring both sides of this guy to the table. And we get to see this crazy ass monster gangster, but also this kind of, you know, this man who doesn't want to lose his oldest friend. It's, it's that union that made uh, Rafe my choice here. Yeah, I totally respect it. I, I, I love that. I love when he, another bit when he's speaking to Ken, he's like, Ken, if I had, if I had killed that little kid accidentally or otherwise, I wouldn't have thought twice. I'd killed myself on the fucking spot, on the fucking spot. I would have stuck the gun in my mouth on the fucking spot. You know, and then he does, you know, it's, it's foreshadowing what's going to happen. And, oh man, yeah, just great, great stuff from all three of those guys. Uh, Colin is in no way like taking bronze or some bullshit here. They're all, it's like 1A, 1B, 1C. They're all just, they're all fantastic. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's a great uh, triple threat of a cast here. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you just can't deny that Harry has like the best lines to work, <laughs> to, yeah. to work with, uh, you know, and, and that's, that, that's actually my, my Deacons is actually that phone call between Harry and Ken when he's basically explaining you're going to have to kill Ray, you know, yeah, that, that whole bit. And when he's asking him, how does, you know, how does Ray, how does he like Bruges? You know, that's when he's like, how can it not be his fucking thing? You know, and he tells him, Hey, tell Ray to go out, you know, and Ken does that whole bit where he opens the door and closes the door and he's on the phone with him. That whole like five minute stent, that scene is pretty breathtaking. It's a 10 out of 10 scene. Yeah. And it's where you have the, the great stuff from Harry where he's yeah fairy tale fucking Bruges. <laughs> and he's like, well, he's like, I'm glad I could, you know, do one thing for the kid before he leaves, you know, like, yeah, Jesus. <laughs> but in his own way, it's a nice gesture. <laughs> he so could have blown you know, his brains out in London and thrown him in the, you know, in the Thames, but he didn't. <laughs> no, he didn't. Send him to Bruges. Fucking Bruges. <laughs> uh, what's your Deacons? Before I get into my Deacons, I do want to just shout out one more Harry line. Of course. I mean, there's, yeah, yeah. You could, you could go on all night and I'm, I'm cool with it. It's the message he leaves with the hotel lady. <laughs> oh, yes. It's our first voiceover from Harry. And here it is. Number one, why aren't you in when I fucking told you to be in? Number two, why doesn't this hotel have phones with fucking voicemail and not have to leave messages with the fucking receptionist? Number three, you better fucking be in tomorrow night when I fucking call again or there'll be fucking hell to pay. I'm fucking telling you, Harry. <laughs> Harry. Did you ask for a better introduction? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Harry. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> and then the lady's like, I'm not the receptionist. I own this place. Yeah. He's yeah. Like, she's I'm sorry. She's a great character too that comes into play later, of course, as they're they're dueling it out. I love Harry's like, nope, I won't hurt her, I promise. But you're gonna fucking die. <laughs> God. So my scene, my uh, deacons is uh, Harry and Ken in the tower when Ken's kind of basically okay. giving hit. You know, like I needed, I had to do it, and Harry's like, I fucking get that, but I gotta fucking kill you. And Ken's just like, do it. I don't care anymore. Just know I did this for the right reasons and I have no regrets. 
And Harry's like, fuck, well, I can't really kill you now, can I? <laughs> and he shoots him in the leg. He's like, I had to do something. <laughs> and then he starts helping him down. And then, yeah, just from there to Harry, to uh, Ken uh, jumping off the tower is just such a great scene that is so great for his character. And um, I love it. Yeah, brilliant stuff. Brilliant. This movie has an awesome, you know, finale last 15, 20 minutes. It really just doesn't skip any beats, man. Overall, I give it a nine. Uh, I think it could really get pushed to that 10 place just because when you love something and you watch it over and over, eventually that just that love kind of just pours over you like a wave and you just give in. <laughs> and I, I could see that happening with this one as I'll probably watch it for the years to come. I too give this a nine. It's a firm favorite of mine. And I honestly can't believe we made it this whole podcast without bringing up the coked up midget and his racist, like race war belief. That whole scene. Good Lord, Jimmy. Yeah. Jimmy of course is the, you know, the dwarf who's dressed up as a little boy who gets shot at the end. And that's why, that's why Harry does what he does at the end. Yeah. No, I mean, crazy character, wild character to have in the movie that scene when they're all partying yeah and he's just like it's just gonna be a big race war man and then later in the movie he's like yeah it's just cocaine talking i i like was rolling around laughing at that when he was like yeah it's just cocaine (laughs) because i've because i've heard people talk like that on cocaine i have you know and they're it's very one note you know (laughs) and i've heard that i've heard that rant or a rant similar to that and the next day, yeah, just, uh, sorry, that was the Coke talking. You know, it's just, it was just perfect. It was perfect timing. Great delivery. <laughs> it's, yeah, from the, from the second, Ray just loudly and excitedly goes, they're filming midgets. Yeah. <laughs> from there to the, yeah, it's, it's there's, no, there's no fat on this thing. It all works for some weird reason. It's, yeah, for sure. It's a great movie. Yep, nine will probably be a 10 the next time I watch this. Yeah, it could, it could, it could get there with, yeah, another watch, another couple watches. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe you fall in love with something that you didn't see before. You never know. But uh, yeah, I was had a blast doing this, you know, just kind of talking about the individuals who make in Bruges what it is. And it uh, looks like we both kind of walked away with learning some stuff about the cast and finding out what we really, really like about it. And that seems to be what it was nominated for, which is the screenplay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's, it's you know it's greatest strength for sure. Yeah, I think I think so, and I I, I do I do wish in Bruges had had more nominations, of course. But uh, that's that's kind of the point of the show is to talk about you know films like you know Joker and Parasite and movies that have recently got a ton of nominations, or or talk about you know something kind of random like this that has the one nom uh, and has this kind of cult status. So yeah, I had a lot of fun. But next week is. You know, we're going into whole different territory, you know, <clears throat> a place we haven't been before in a, in, a, in a while. I think since Rushamon, which is the foreign language area of the Oscars, we're going to we're going to tackle La Strada next week for episode 42. That is the first film to take home the win for best foreign language film. So that category wasn't formed until, you know, the mid 50s. So. Lestrada is the first proper winner and we're going to kind of do a Federico Fellini week, you know, kind of just talk about his stuff, you know, his 
you know, that movie, eight and a half, Amar Accord. Uh, what else is there? Uh, I mean, he's, he, he's kind of, he's, he's, he's got a ton that have been touched by the Oscars and we're just kind of, kind of have fun with it. But Estrada is the one it was it, it won best foreign language film. And it was also up for best screenplay. So we're going to have fun with that, man. Go back to the fifties, talk a little foreign language film category and, you know, talk a little bit of Italian, Italian film with Fellini. Sounds good. Yeah. It's, you know, uncharted territory is fun and you know, it can be hit or miss. I will never, I never know. So I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to, you know, take the, take the plunge. If I'm going to be, a, you know, I'm going to call myself a film buff. I need to check out some Fellini. Yeah. Fellini of course is a, a critically acclaimed guy He's seen as one of the more, you know, important guys of the kind of new wave of European cinema and the 50s, 60s, 70s, a guy who just kind of, kind of shredded, you know, throughout, throughout those decades. And from what I've seen, I've just seen a couple. I've seen eight and a half. I've seen a Maracord. I think they're both pretty awesome. I'm super, super eager to get into this and to, to do another, uh, a foreign movie. Uh, we've done Z, Rushamon, and now we're, now we're going to go after Lestrada. So yeah, it's, 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 it's fun to do these because it completely changes the pace, you know, and yes. Like you said, you're going into you're plunging into kind of just unknown territory for yourself as a fan. So, uh, yeah, yeah, come come back next week with us and hear about some Fellini. What's going on with uh, sneak preview and filmgasm this week? Uh, sneak preview tomorrow. We're going to be talking about the new uh, film by Tom Holland and the Russo brothers, Cherry, uh, which is mm-hmm. kind of mixed reviews. But, you know, we have not yet watched it, but we will give our two cents. And then on the sneak preview uh, in honor of St. Patrick's, I mean, on, not, we just did the sneak preview. Filmgasm. Uh, in honor of St. Patrick's Day, Julie and I are tackling the underground cult favorite Leprechaun. So very Hell yes about that. Have not yet watched it. Not exactly itching to. I've heard really bad things from pretty much everybody who's checked this out. But I don't care. St. Patrick's Day. We're doing Leprechaun. So, Fuck it. Gonna yeah. have some fun. Yeah. And be sure to check out the Giggle Guys on Friday. Don't know what they're doing, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that's uh, Juwan and Andrew. So we are we don't really know exactly what movies they're doing. It's more of kind of, kind of a surprise and they're just running with it, having a lot of fun. So I, I can't wait to, to join them one day, but for right now they're just rolling. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we, you know, uh, got a really cool announcement on uh, filmgasm this Wednesday, by the way, uh, for the following week's episode, which is going to be primo. So tune in to find out what's happening. I could not be more excited. Hell yeah, man. Me too. I, I, I know of what you speak, speak about. And <laughs> I too am equally, equally excited for, for what's to come in the next few weeks. <clears throat> yeah. With that, thank you for joining us today on a very funny and interesting episode after Chariots of Fire. This was a nice change of pace. <laughs> yes, I think we both needed uh, yeah, kind of a firm favorite yeah. to, to, to kind of bounce back off of chariots that's not to say that we don't love raiders and atlantic city and on golden pond and reds yeah. but chariots is weak yes it was and when the big one when the like the primo film that we're going to be talking about is weak <laughs> yeah yeah you gotta you got because you gotta find awards for it and that's that's difficult sometimes when you uh aren't passionate about the movie so yeah this the, in bruges was like oh, i just did it I, I did it so easily i mean it was difficult to choose but I, it was yeah. easy to think of them in my brain yeah this was awesome. Had a had a great time doing this. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We'll see you next Sunday. 